Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Beast Tactical Podcast, where we try to get out of the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm David Anderson, your host for today, and for this special preview episode of Swansea v Brentford, I'm joined by Jack Army Tactics aficionado, Ben Church. Ben, how are you doing? And thank you for joining us. I'm really pleased to be here, thank you. I feel like I've got a bit to live up to with that intro now, though, so uh, got to deliver, I guess, haven't I? <laughs> yeah, there's a big build-up. We're, um, we're waiting on you for performance, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um you just give it your best shot it should be awesome you looking forward to it yeah really looking forward to it let's do it great stuff let's go okay so let's talk swans uh so the last time we played it finished 1-1 it feels like years ago doesn't it um it was only back in november but that feels like a long time ago um you're second in the league you've got the lowest goals against record uh has it been a bit of a slog or has it been total dominance to this point uh, probably neither, to be fair. I'd say it's somewhere in between. Uh, efficient, probably the right word to describe it. You know, we started the season really strongly. Uh, we had Joe Roden for the first four games before he moved on to Tottenham. So defensively, we were really sound. We also had Jamal Lowe, who was transitioning from a winger role at Wigan and trying to adapt to that forward role next to Andre Ayew. So obviously, it took him quite a while to get into the goals. I think it was two goals in the first 17 games. So up until that point, maybe not a slog, but wins were harder to come by, goals were harder to come by. There were a lot more 1-0 sort of games where it probably maybe got a bit more lucky. But obviously since Jamal Lowe, I mean, anyone who watched the South Wales derby, so he uh, bagged himself a brace. He's had seven goals in seven games since then. The goals have really started to flow. Confidence is up. There's a great sense of unity in the squad. Seven clean sheets in nine. and Really, the cohesion is there for all to see. So it's starting to much more to dominant. It definitely hasn't been a slog. It's been um, it's been a really good season to be a Swansea fan, the best in a long time. To be fair, yeah, definitely. I think it's it's a really interesting season. You seem to be you seem to be a little bit stronger than last year. Um, I guess before um, we go sort of too much into it, it's probably it's probably good to address um, sort of COVID and how much that's um, had an impact. So I don't know if you're aware, but Brentford had a bit of a ten a ten day break for COVID. The training ground was locked down. 
Um, our game back after that was against Luton, and the second half of Lut- uh, the second half of that match against Luton was a complete drop off in terms of sort of fitness and aptitude, and it was really it was a real struggle. Have you um, have you had anything like that? Has there been any breaks, or has there been anything significant that sort of impacted the team in the in the last few months? Luckily, not to be fair. I mean, it's not to say we haven't been affected in any way. We have uh, returned three positive tests since the season took place, but that is. Um... Jordan Garrick, Victor Jokerez and Liam Cullen and with the greatest respect to all three of them, neither of them, or none of them have really featured heavily this season. When the uh, cases did come back positive, it was contained really well. We haven't had any games postponed due to COVID. We did have one, weirdly, the other day which was Blackburn, but that was because of a waterlogged pitch, but, you know, other than that, we're really up to speed. And yeah, but like you said with the Luton game, I did watch back the Luton game before coming on the podcast first half display. It was really good. You uh, had a lot of variation in the way you were building up you had uh tony and embuemo i can't say his name no one can say his name but embuemo dropped back <laughs> um to have the overload in midfield you had godos in the middle didn't you but he was slightly higher than jensen and janelt and it was kind of interesting when tony dropped back godos would push on onto the highest line and quite a lot of the time tony was dropping back and um lockyer was stepping out the line godos was getting in behind and that was working really well but luton to be fair to them came out in the second half and they kept their intensity and actually went up a gear I'd probably say and you are right there was a drop off I don't know if that'll be a factor for you when it comes to midweek I mean you rested quite a few for Leicester didn't you but um no that is possibly one edge we may have on Wednesday we're we're looking fresh we're looking fit at the moment Covid hasn't been much of a problem for us yeah I guess that's yeah it's it's a positive isn't it I think the least disruption the better um but yeah let's focus on coming into this game a little bit more so I I think um we're recording this uh, just off the back of a couple of um, FA Cup games. Um, slightly differing ties. You've uh, <laughs> you had a routing five-one win against Forest, and uh, we've succumbed to Leicester, um, a really good Leicester team as well, and uh, probably a second-string Leicester team with a few of their first-team players. And there's similar to Brentford, largely a second team, but there are still a, a core of first-team playing. Um, do you think any selections on that will have a bearing on this tie? Do you think, um, do you think that obviously the players that are going to play in both matches, what, how do you feel about your tie and sort of coming into this game? Yeah, I mean, we were lucky really against Forest because we got into that lead quite early on in the second half and we kind of knew where the result was going. We were able to take quite a few players off. We took advantage of the five subs. I mean, Hurahan, Grimes, Lowe, Roberts, Geehy, you know, all first team, first team key players. Um they all only played around an hour. You had Andre Ayew, Corey Smith, Benga Bango, Kyle Norton. None of them even featured. So they're all fresh. You have uh, Jordan Morris, new signing from Seattle Sounders. Wasn't actually available for that Forest game because he didn't register in time, but he could make his debut against Brentford. So, um, yeah, it's a really fresh lineup. I reckon Brentford, I mean, you also have Tony and uh, I believe you have De Silva coming back as well from suspension. Yeah. yeah. So you've got them fully fit as well. So it should be two strong teams, I reckon. You're always one of the strongest teams that we face. Um, uh, it's, it's a game we, we look out for in terms of like, it's 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 going to be a footballing match. I think we know that both teams can play well and um, can hit some good levels. But I, th- I think there is a little bit of worry there. We're not, we're not, excited to play you because we know the points are going to be harder to get but I, I guess on that note how, do, how does this iteration of Swansea stack up to last year's I know um I know there was sort of a bit of back and forth and um year one Cooper was uh, sort of promised a lot of things but have you grown much are you much stronger than this year yeah I think you have to say we've grown I mean you go back to the league double uh where we used to play with a back four it was kind of a four two three one against Brentford last season you absolutely 
took the mick with us, to be honest. It, it was quite embarrassed. The home fixture, I remember I was there for that. I, everyone else around me was just really angry watching it. I was actually just laughing just because of how good you were playing. You still had uh, Ben Rama at the time as well and Watkins. Um, but not this season. You saw in the playoffs um, when we played you last season, we'd switched to the back three. We've built on that back three collectively as a whole. I think we've grown. We've become more cohesive. The big thing is we've become more streetwise. You know, it was a really young squad last season. There is still youth in there, but you've got the experience in there to go with it now. Even the young players like Ben Cabango, Freddie Woodman, for example, they're young, but they are experienced. Matt Grimes has been in the championship for a few years, playing regularly for us now. Um, it is having being streetwise, which is really helping us grind out results, is you know picking up points. Um, if you look on an individual basis, did we replace Brewster? Did we replace Gallagher? We brought in Gibbs White, who actually was an improvement on Gallagher from last season, but he got injured after three, four games. He had a I think it was a dislocated ankle, something like that. He had to have surgery on, and then he got recalled. So we didn't really get to see him as good as he did before he got injured. That obviously led to the switch to the three-five-two, and that's um, a formation which is bare fruit. We can't really do anything about it now. And another thing I'd probably have to say um, is noticeable this season is how good we are when we're in the lead. I think we've been in the lead or taken the lead first in 13 games this season from that. We've won 12, drawn one. We haven't actually lost after taking the lead this season. So that's something to keep an eye out for um, on Wednesday if Swansea do go 1-0 up. Yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that. I think, um, yeah, you're you're definitely strong at locking in that result once you get the first goal. I think um, just looking at some of the times of those first goals, they're pretty grueling around that uh, that halfway mark. and just, yeah, exactly. Um, just a nail in the coffin when you think you've had a good half and kept it tight and then... Um, someone pops up with the goal but yeah we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more detail but I think just um, a little bit more sort of overall strategy because I think this is quite interesting um, uh, so your, your strategy since coming down has obviously been loans loans and more loans um, develop some youth sell on high uh, Roden's just gone to Spurs and that's allowed you to sort of retain a big earner like are you um, Mark Gooey's on loan uh, you've had Gallagher and Brewster what 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 do you think about the strategy do you like it do you dislike it are there, are there many flaws or or is it just plain sailing I mean it's a really debatable one isn't it because there are obvious pros and cons the pros obviously that we've been able to assemble a real real quality squad on a shoestring budget but then you have to look at the cons and every summer it's a real uphill task for well in this case Andy Scott Steve Cooper whoever's doing the recruitment it's a, a real challenge because if we look ahead to this summer now like you said you got Geehee on loan you got Freddie Woodman Hurahan Morris I know he hasn't played yet but he will feature quite regularly Andre Ayew we've been allowed to keep but his contract's up in the summer he's on £80,000 a week or something ridiculous completely unsustainable for the championship um, Kyle Norton you know Premier League experience they're out of contract in the summer but he does have a 12 month option so there's that so you got those players who are out of contract and obviously we're still coming out of the phased parachute payments coming out of the Premier League this uh, season we've received our last one which was for £15 million so our income again now this summer is going to drop £15 million again we've had to cut our cloth accordingly and that's meant key players have had to keep on uh, exiting stage left we've had Dan James go to Man United Ollie McBurney go to Sheffield United we've had Joe Roden go to Spurs you know big players with big money and unfortunately if unless we get promoted which you know there's a chance of course there is um some something like that would have to happen again and then there's probably three players who you're locking to there you're locking Benga Bango who you know, because of his age, he's still only 20, I think, at the moment. He's gone into the Wales squad now, so that's one you probably have gener uh, generate Premier League interest from, maybe around the 8 to £10 million pound market, depending on how strong our finances are. And then you've also got the captain, Matt Grimes, and, you know, uh, 
Connor Robb is a right back who's been one of our best players this season, one year left on their deal. So um, they're, they're three players who, unless we go up, you know, you may have to sell and then you have to replace all those players who are going back from loan as well. And then there's also Andreu, like I said, who you, you just, I don't care who you are, you can't replace Andreu at this level with this budget. He's a Premier League quality player. Can't really attract someone of that quality to the league, I don't think. But one thing I will say as well is never write off Cooper, never write off Andy Scott, because I went on uh, another podcast last year, All Stats, aren't we, with Leeds? I was saying all this exact same thing. I was like, oh, we want to have Ayu, we want to have Brewster, we want to have Gallagher, we won't be able to replace them. And uh, we've actually got a much better squad this season, a much deeper squad, which is the key thing this season as well. Even if we have injuries, um, we are well equipped to deal with us. So, um, you know, it looks unlikely that we can continue to improve our squad year on year with the strategy but all in all if it gets us up then it would have to be locked back on as a resounding success wouldn't it uh, yeah absolutely i think if um if you get back up this year just as the parachute payments are about to run out then everyone's patting themselves on the back and it's job well done and you just forget the previous few years but but yeah also just to pick up on the three things you're saying it was it was great yeah i think um keeping hold of are you at that at that expense to some people might see that as lunacy but you, you're right you do have to think about if once that player goes can you ever attract a player to your club again of that level and then what does that cost for you to bring that player in and is it actually better to just retain what you have and um just renew his contract or, or let him have that deal and let it let it sort of run out or or whatever so it's a it's a fine balance but it's one that you seem to have adapted to and and allowing players to go and being comfortable with that and then thinking about the pathways who's coming in behind them i, I think you're you're really you're you're not far behind Brentford at this. I, I think we probably just get renowned as the best at it. But it's it's just being prepared to sell and understanding that selling isn't actually that bad, and and having confidence in yourselves and then making sure the player coming in is either better or you incrementally improve the rest of the squad with um, with the transfer money. So yeah, great things, and we're really uh, yeah we're we're really impressed over here. Yeah, I mean the key difference obviously between Brentford and Swansea is uh, you look at the players who have left, big players McBurney, James, and uh, Joe Rogan. They've all come from. Our category one academy when we were in the Premier League. I think the big, biggest difference of Brentford and credits yourselves for it is you've had over a hundred million pounds, or well over a hundred million pounds now of uh, players, player sales money coming in, and you've haven't even been in the Premier League yet. So to do that, just uh, you know, buy in. Or do you get Ben Rama from the French second division, and Boimo from was a French second or French first? I'm not entirely sure. Watkins from Exeter. You, you know, these are clubs you're buying them from, and you shouldn't be able to sell that player on for thirty-three million. 25 million whatever it's bizarre but obviously the model you have with the analytics department you have you're doing it and you're doing it consecutively over and over again and you know that when they they move on you'll have somebody to come in and replace them and in the end go on and do just as well so it's it's a brilliant model you've got yeah it is pretty good it's um yeah it's it's a lot of people are trying to replicate it now but i think it's um it's just having a lot of smart people in the right positions uh that make it work and it's not as simple as just copying it's also a mindset from sort of top to bottom at a club and that's quite hard to that's quite hard to foster but yeah you seem to be doing a good job at um doing your own thing or or similar in some respects yeah. so it has its flaws but do you feel like you're as close as ever to getting promoted yeah i mean last season we really weren't in an automatic promotion race at all i mean we snuck in by the skin of our teeth and uh <laughs> sick place to the expense of forest like goal difference it was you know a crazy last day of the season I mean, if I was to predict it, you, I mean, you'd expect this will be our only chance to auto-promotion for until we hit the reset button 
because there are the key players leaving, I've just said. But then the pull Steve Cooper has in the um, transfer market at this level is unparalleled. It really is like we have clubs offering us players on loan and us turning them down. That's not that's not really how loans are meant to work. It's meant to very much be, oh, we'll uh, we'll let you know the last week if we want to let him out or not. But no, <laughs> let, let, we have um, with Cooper in place. We we literally. We have a manager who is brilliant at developing youth players. We have a manager that won't hold a bias against that player because he's on loan. If we have, say, two centre-backs, one on loan, one at the club, he won't care which one's here permanently. He'll put whichever one in the team deserves to be there, and that's something you don't get at a lot of these other clubs. I think with Cooper, his pedigree, you know, the amount of players that he's brought into the under seven uh, from that under seventeen team, mm. he won the World Cup with. I think of that was stupid. Like twenty-five percent or a third of that team has now played for Swansea, which is bizarre in itself. And obviously, that batch of players, they are going to get older. Some of those players are completely out of reach. You know, your Sancho, your Foden, your hudson Adoy. So there's only so many players you can get from that select group. But these younger players coming through now, the ones who are maybe a couple of years younger than Geehee and Woodman and all of those other uh, players, Gibbs-White, they, they will want to come and play for Swansea because they know they'll get put in the shop window. You, you see what happened with Brewster. £25 million moved to Sheffield United from Liverpool off the back of, what, half a season, 11 goals with Swansea. Mm. Gallagher got that move to West Brom. I mean, it's unfortunate for Gibbs White. I'm sure he would have um I'm sure he would have played all season. I'm sure he either would have got a move away from Wolves or he would have um improved him to a much better player and featured more regularly for them. So you, you can see what the benefits of coming to Swansea on loan are, you really can. Yeah, yeah, they're clear for everyone to see, absolutely. Okay, I reckon this is a good time to talk about um like how you're how you're putting this in, how you're doing this and how you've got yourself right up there in the league and um pushing second spot um let's go systems and shapes so last year it was um it was a little bit topsy-turvy as you said you had the 4-2-3-1 it was sort of a double pivot there was four at the back it it felt like it was okay and there was it wasn't as much structure but now i think behind brentford and maybe norwich i think you're probably and maybe stoke as well actually i'd say you're probably one of the most obvious structures now the most obvious systems and it's quite easy to pick you out week to week to week i think the team you're playing like so you're three at the back most obviously, uh, Gooey, Cabango, Bennett, and then some, sometimes Norton swaps in. Um, that's solid. That's a three. Your three midfielders, Corey Smith, um, uh, Matt Grimes, and then Fulton working and then sometimes switching in with Danda. It's, it's pretty rigid in there. And I can see why Hurahan's come in just to give those guys a bit of, um, bit of a break because they played a lot of minutes. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a three, five, two, right? Do you want to talk me through a little bit about it? Yeah, love the three-five-two. I mean, it allows us to be effective in every single phase of the game, hence the success of the formation that's given us this season. I mean, it's suitable for building the wide areas of the wing-backs, which is absolutely the way we look to build our attacks, you know, gain that platform to enter the final third, penetrate out wide. Those wing-backs, you have IU dropping in to overload a midfield that already has three midfielders there who are all comfortable on the ball who can play those quick penetrative passes if needed. I mean, what I will say, I wasn't actually a fan of the functional midfield three. I wasn't a fan originally when um, when the system was first tested with uh, Grimes, Fulton and Smith. I, mean, I think one of the first games that I got tested with was Bristol City, a one-all draw with Bristol City way back earlier in the season. And uh, the reason that, that it didn't really work was how flat it was. 
Um, you mentioned dander. This this back three has had a few different variations. I mean, it was dander or Gibbs White dinner three four one two for part of the season, and the three four one two to be honest probably would have been the formation that we ran with for the entirety of the season if Gibbs White hadn't uh, sustained that uh, injury needed surgery with. After that three four one two, we were switching between um, dander in a ten. We had Casey Palmer in at ten. Hmm. Uh, dander's probably done a bit better. Casey Palmer's got recalled partly because of the lack of impact, partly because Bristol City needed bodies. Um, so we did kind of have to adapt. I mean, the three four one two obviously had two uh, number eights and a number 10. And what this sort of did, I mean, the Brentford uh, reverse fixture is actually a perfect example. Um, one of the number eights, whether it be Corey Smith, whether it be Fulton, whether it be Grimes, sometimes they'd push up to a higher line in line with a 10. So we'd actually have two number 10s there. To, and then IU would just be roaming around because he's Andre IU. He just goes where he wants. Um and what I would do, if we uh, turned over possession cheaply and uh, had to transition to defence, we our midfield would be really exposed. And that would leave us vulnerable to a counter-attack straight through the middle of the pitch. And it may have been from a set piece or a second ball from a set piece, but that was actually exactly how Ivan Tony ended up scoring against Swansea in the reverse fixture. It was uh, Corey Smith, if I remember right, was uh, on a higher line. He tried receiving on the half turn, ran straight into someone, and the next thing you know, Brentford, you know, a fast Brentford transition. Um, mm. They were straight down the other end. But um, basically, the reason that we've now gone for that free functional midfield is because that problem's not been completely solved, but alleviated, if you understand what I mean. So, whereas before we had the two number eights and the 10, what we now have is one number six and two number eights. So, what that one number six does, and it's usually it can be Jay Fulton, it can be Mac Grimes. What that one number six does is it gives Jake Bidwell or Ryan Manning a left wing back, and Connor Robs a right wing back. It gives them the freedom to push up into the final third without having to worry about the consequences if they lose the ball. Having that number six and having usually one of the number eights sit deeper, it does give us that solidity. It uh, slows the progress of the opposition on the uh, attack in transition. And that does give us then time to have our wing backs get back into place because what you don't want to do is have our back three, whether it be Bennett, Cabango, Geeky, whoever. If the wing backs aren't there, they get incredibly stretched, like sideways. If they get stretched sideways, then that's when the half spaces open up. That's when wingers such as... Um, uh, Canyos, such as Embuemo, they'll have the space to come inside. That's where we can get hurt. But not having that number six, having the number eight sit deeper, that's what's really allowed us to pick on and grind up results. I guess the three-five-two is it's kind of designed to just block and prevent half spaces appearing. Like if you think of that channel down the pitch, if you've got three centre backs, you're kind of hoping that the left centre back and right centre back can block any kind of any kind of space developing and the full back outside them staying tight and that back line of five is it's a really firm base and then if you have a double pivot as well I know you're saying you play with a single um, six at points but sometimes all three of them can be back just blocking off in front of that five and it's you're, you're working on a back five a three in front it's incredibly hard to to find any spaces especially coming off the wings so I think there's there's some weaknesses in it I mean you give up a lot of space so for a team building up I don't think you if you're just pressing with the two it's really easy to sort of spread the ball wide and then get progress with a full back towards as, as long as your wing backs aren't pushed up high, which they tend to not be, there's space down the wings to develop. But then once you get there, you run into three or four players who are pushing up, pushing out on the wings. So it's um it, it's a good system. I think it's it's defensive first, and um, I think you've done really well with it. And I, I'm quite intrigued to see how far it gets you. I, I feel like um I feel like we might get into this further. I feel like it might run out of steam, but let's talk about why I think it might. <laughs> So Lowe and Ayu, front two, 
um, not really a traditional forward man there. They're both pretty much roaming. Lowe's probably a little bit more central, a little bit more, a little bit more um, centrality in his positioning. I think IU is, as you said earlier, he just can pick up any position. I think the team have to, as a front, as an attacking force, just have to evolve around him and make sure um, he's involved and he does get involved, obviously. But um, what do you think? Do you, they've both obviously got dangerous movements. They can drift out wide position as wingers. Do you, do you think they've got enough in the tank to carry you through this? Do you think there's enough goals? And, and can the team just sustain just relying on those two for goals, basically? I mean, it's an excellent point you make. I mean, I think they're on eight goals apiece and then I sent the back, Ben Gabango, with three as our third top goal scorer. So um, especially because of the lack of depth we've had up until this point entering January in that position, if either of them had got injured, you had Liam Cullen, who... You know, I think he's a great prospect. I don't think he's necessarily ready for to play week in, week out in the championship and deliver the goals yet. Maybe more looking towards next season. And we had Victor Jokerez, who had the one goal in the FA Cup tie against Stevenage before getting recalled and uh, going on loan to Coventry. Um, I mean, we signed Jordan Morris now. I've, I've watched quite a, f- a few games of him now. I mean, again, it, it's the same sort of mould. He's a left winger primarily. He's very versatile, but he mm. is a left winger primarily. But he can come inside onto that uh, right foot of his as well. And he does play through the middle. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of Low. kind of reminds me of Ayu. Uh, he, he has it's quite a... interesting, isn't it, his profile? You just think, he's again, he's not like a, an actual centre forward. He's one that's going to probably come off the wide areas. It's It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, his skill set's um, very much alike to both of them. I mean, he's very quick. He plays in the last man, which you can compare to Lowe, but also I've seen him quite a few times. He's dropping in, he's cutting in on his right foot. He's looking to switch the play. That's what IU does, but obviously from right to left, switching up a bid well. So maybe, you know, you could have IU and Morris playing together. You could have um, Lowe and Morris playing together. You could even see either 3 4 3 or 3 4 1 2 with you could have IU in the number 10 you could have Morris low and IU as a front three and they can just interchange as they want because basically they can all play anywhere across that front line but um when when you're saying about the goals do you think they'll dry up I think not necessarily Morris I think the big difference with that for me is going to be Conor Hurahan for two reasons so firstly obviously from open play you know he's a goal threat from midfield and with the greatest respect uh, Fulton Grimes Smith as great as they've been this season that that's not them. That's not what they typically do. I say that as Grimes has just had bagged a brace in the last game, so that sounds a bit <laughs> odd. But um, no, no, from, no from open, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, from open play, that they're not really much of a goal threat typically. But Hurahan does give you that, and it's not only an open play, but set pieces. I mean, we have another set piece, they were a really good one since Sigurdsson, and that's going back to like 2017. But I mean, we have the players for it. This is what frustrates us fans watching it. Sometimes you'll have Grimes on. Uh, deliveries you'll from one side you may have roberts or dander or deliveries from the other and they're, they're not bad at all that they're not bad set piece takers but we haven't had someone who you can really call superb somebody who puts that ball into the box which splits the uh, line of defense and the goalkeeper right down the middle the goalkeeper can't come the defender can't get there those are the balls which our players haven't really had from set pieces and you also have Connor roberts who's just become uh the championship version of uh oh i've forgotten his name Long throws I'm referring to. Um, oh, Rory Delap. Rory Delap, yeah. Get... <laughs> I, I or so... Mads Beck Sorensen, I should yeah, say. We've got, um, we've got our own version now. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's why I'd, I'd expect more goals to come from set pieces from now until the end of the season for all those two reasons. And um, I'm hope it's a lot of pressure to put on Hurahan. Like, if he doesn't perform, then we're, we're just like exactly what we are now. And the problem is Lowe's got 7-7, seven seven, which is great and all. But I use actually 
hitting a bit of a dry spell, goals-wise, whether that's just because typically when we take the lead, and it is usually low scoring to put us into the lead, we do shut up shop, and I, I hate to say it, but this isn't really my way of thinking about football but it works for us it just because of the setup we have it, it's a negative approach you could call it but it keeps working we haven't lost after taking the lead this season we've won 12 from 13 so until it stops working there's absolutely no reason to stop and i think what's important is there's so many games where it's like nil nil hanging in the balance and there's been a lot of games where it's been nil nil we haven't even been playing particularly well but what we'll do is we'll stay in a game at nil-nil for so long and then all we need is one chance a good chance that we typically take it that's maybe not mm. sustainable but that's how it's panned out up till now and then like i said when we take the lead we just as a fan it's weirdly nice to watch because you basically just know if we're gonna win the game yeah I, yeah i guess that's a nice feeling um yeah we don't we're normally biting our fingernails and i'm um, just hoping but yeah i guess the reason why i think it why i think it has the potential to fizzle out because it's it's, it's it just feels like there's so much reliance on um, low and IU for the shots, and you just feel like the goals could dry up, and it's probably because of how much work they do outside of the box. And I think we have a striker like that in Tony. We obviously he's a pressing forward. He works really hard centrally, and and is dropping deeper more than ever now. But we still feel like he's getting enough shots away, and he's doing enough work in the box. I think your system is very much like hitting low and IU early. As soon as you turn over the ball in the back line, you're you're trying to find them and then connect from them. Like from stretching through the middle third and going to them in the front line, so uh, there's lots of work they have to do, and um, some of it doesn't feel like box box play. And maybe that's that's just what's in nagging in my head. Is there is there the forward enough to to sort of take you through to the rest of the season? But but yeah, just following up on what's behind them, I guess the the three midfield workers of Fulton, Smith, and Grimes. I know you've sort of said quite a bit about them, but. It, it, there's not much goals there, is there? There's, you don't feel like there's a big goal threat. And Grimes has got a little bit of extra quality. I know, I know he scored two well-timed goals in the FA Cup, but I, I feel like they're in there to sort of keep you as that solid base of what we were talking about earlier, that five and then three in front. It's more, I don't think they're there to think about attacking necessarily. And especially through the middle, where a lot of your attacking is out wide on the wings. So they feel there to do a job primarily defensively to defend the leads that you get into so um i don't know i think i think um the new lad morris coming in will probably give a bit of life to that front line but um yeah i'm just i'm just a little bit wary on what happens long term for low and iu and i think we're seeing signs that they could drop away yeah i mean it's right it's right what you're saying though it is absolutely right we're saying though if you want to compare it to the teams that we're competing against to go up i mean Brentford, you've got Ivan Tony, Bournemouth, you've got Dom Solanke, Norwich, you've got Timu Puki, Reading, you've got uh, Lucas Zhao. They're mm. recognised, you know, number nines, they're recognised forwards. So it's a very odd system that I don't think Cooper's necessarily done by choice having two typical wide men come into the front two, but it has worked. It, it shows how um, how well Cooper can adapt under circumstances like that. I mean, low, that, that was a choice, I suppose. I mean, the problem was obviously there weren't many strikers about for 800k in the summer, so... Um, so what all they've done is they took it. They took a gamble. You, you, truth is, you don't know for a fact that you can that you can have a winger that can adapt to a striker who's scoring week in week yeah, out. Yeah, absolutely. For now, he's in his purple patch. Hopefully, it isn't a purple patch, and this is actually what this is the new Jamal Lowe. Hopefully, this is what we see for the rest of the season. But like you say, if he doesn't, then th- then you are going to be trying to scrap for a lot of one nils. Unfortunately, yeah, I, I guess it's the system as well. I think. Um... As we learn more and more about coaches and whatever they say, they, they can say stuff in interviews and they can produce angles and they can say what they 
what they want people to hear but really you start to realize that actually Cooper probably is quite a defensive coach and he wants work from his two forwards and he just wants them to be mobile and to press that front line and it's it's the two of them so they they need to be able to press out wide they need to be press they need to press centrally and does he want a single forward I don't think he does he likes that three five two shape he always wants three central midfielders um he wants three center backs he wants his wing backs so the the natural conclusion for that is well, yeah. Go instead of just going one number nine. He's not going to be able to do the the off the ball work that you want from them. Um, go go for two, and the best way to convert that player is a winger. So it might have happened by or well, happenstance, but it's actually it's actually paying dividends so far. But yeah, let's just keep an eye on it and see how far it goes. But um, I've just mentioned Cooper there. I reckon this is a good time to move on to the head coaches. Actually, um, Frank v Cooper, a bit of a grudge match developing. Uh, I think this is the fourth time they've met. Maybe fifth. I'm not. Sure. I think it might be the fifth. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, a bit of a grudge match developing. The playoffs were, yeah, a really intense period of a lot at stake. Um, uh, how are you feeling about the two coaches coming up against each other? Yeah, I think looking back to that playoff fight, it was the first leg. It was at post match first leg. Thomas Rack definitely ruffled a few feathers with Swansea fans. Not necessarily <laughs> Cooper. He, he ruffled a few yeah. feathers with Swansea fans. I think the quote was. Um, he was asked, do you think uh, you're going to win the playoff semi-final? He was like, yeah, I know what we've done wrong. We're, we're going to go to the final. And then he was asked about his front three. And he was like, oh, do, do you see Ben Rama moving on? Do you see Watkins moving on? And he was like, no, because we're going to play in the Premier League. And I think it was that one, the fan base, <laughs> our fan base. We were, not necessarily me, but we, we um, as collectively, we got quite angry at that. But I don't think Cooper did. Like, he's, he's a very mild-mannered manager. Well, that's that's what he puts on anyway. Obviously, nobody knows really how they react to stuff behind the scenes, but I I don't think there's a grudge there. Connor Roberts maybe. I don't think he actually went for Frank in the um maybe in the previous game. There was a bit of a scuffle going on there. I mean, it's becoming a bit of a not necessarily a rivalry, but um you I do look forward to playing Brentford now because because you always know that something's going to happen. There's going to be a good game. There's going to be a good show. But between the two coaches personally, I, I don't think there's anything really there there's no dislike between them no no i think a lot of this stuff just gets constructed by us as fans or all the media framing questions in a provocative way and then um spinning an answer to sound <laughs> like to sound to basically feign interest in something that might not occur so just constructing a reality is um, generally what the media do with these things and these these guys probably just absolutely love each other just massive respect and and know how hard it is day to day to manage an incredibly weird thing like a football team so yeah I don't um, I don't think there's too much going on there but it's quite interesting um I, I think Cooper's um I think, I think what's quite interesting is he's just his age like he's he's so young 40 41 um Frank's 47 so a few years his senior um Cooper, Cooper's obviously had a really uh, I guess it feels like his trajectory has been really fast and um it probably hasn't because he's so well known in in the lower the sort of high quality lower um the fa like so the lower age group stuff so he is popular and he's well known and respected um he's done some really good things like implementing interesting stuff at like the fa levels like 16 to 19s and then obviously the big world cup win that's um put him on the map really everyone everyone saw that um how are you feeling about year two year two cooper What's um? What's your just overall vibe? Year two Cooper is a big improvement on year one Cooper overall. Like I, I'll say that. I mean, the the way he uh, puts himself across, he's he's very humble. He, you know, he never looks past the next game. That's basically his catchphrase. But he has quietly gone about building something pretty remarkable. I I, I won't lie. I mean, we knew he was great with young players before he'd started the job. You looked at the 
work he did with the under 17s what they achieved but it's it's the unity that he's created in the dressing room and i think that's a sign of the modern manager and him that maybe we don't see with a lot of not necessarily older heads but there are managers in the league which maybe don't take such a player-centered approach which he does um Every player works hard for the team. Every player looks like they enjoy working under him. Every player who signs, they talk about how Orton Cooper was in persuading them to come to the club. I mean, what's starting to shine through is, you hear some people say, imagine he's 18 months to get impose his style on a team. I mean, we're about 18 months in, and the quality which we are, we can show in some games, not, not week in, week out, but we, we, we can show compared to a year, uh, just over a year ago, it, it, it is really starting to... You know, it is starting to shine through. Um, he, he improves players. It isn't just the young players either. He has improved the young players. But um, Jamal Lowe as well. I mean, two goals in 17 games. He was written off by large sections of the fan base. He can't finish. He, um, I, I don't mind saying myself. I was one who, um, you know, he looked at his XG. I think not the top 20 said the same thing. He was so unbelievably underperforming his XG. It couldn't continue to that extent. And in the end, I think he is actually just above it now. Um, but like a Jake Bidwell, he was struggling. Connor Roberts, they were both struggling in the back four. The switch to the three with uh, defenders and then having the wing backs. They both become different players. Jay Fulton just signed a new deal. He, he's gone from a squad player to a real good first team player. Benga Bango, he's probably our biggest asset monetary-wise, you know, in terms of player we can move on and that, you know, Cooper's done great work with him. Um, And it isn't just down to Cooper either, it is down to some of the other staff members that he's been able to accumulate because of his time with the English FA. You look at Martin Margots and he's still now to this day the goalkeeping coach with the England senior team. He's our goalkeeping and set-piece coach going back Cooper came in, so the Graham Potter era or season, not really an era. Um, our goal difference with set pieces was minus 13, so to put into context, I think we may have scored about three and conceded 16. Just bizarre. Uh, Markson came in, and obviously, it isn't just Markson on his own, it's Cooper, it's Mike Marsh. They do, I think, more work in uh, training on set pieces than most teams, it appears to be, anyway. Um, we were one of the best last season. This season, I believe, to this point, we already conceded two in the league. So on, on course, only concede four. And that's after conceding 16-17 under Potter. I mean, it's a massive improvement. We wouldn't have gone into the playoffs last season. without. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, we wouldn't have even been close, uh, truth be told. Um, uh, fitness coach we have, David uh, Tyvee. He's been around the senior setup at the English FA as well. When you look back to last season, coming out of lockdown, you know, we saw some teams, I think Barra is a good example. That's one I remember. They didn't look up to full fitness. They took them a few games to get back into it. But that was a complete contrast to Swansea. We came back, we looked really sharp. Even this season, we've had a threadbare squad in certain areas. Up front, it's been low in IU every game. Roberts has played every single game at wing-back. But we've been able to maintain the intensity of our performances. And that hasn't been the case for everyone. We haven't rotated much throughout the season. So it's still impressive to see how, uh, us maintain our fitness like we have. And that's probably his damn the David Tyvee. I mean, the bulk of the work, I'd imagine, is his. And it's Cooper's reputation within the English FA that's attracting these people. Because I think most people who have worked for the England senior team with the great respect of Swansea. I mean, when other championship clubs, most probably, most people probably turn them down if they've held a role of that calibre. I guess bringing him in just develops a trust um, and just softens barriers, especially between like the really big clubs as well. Like they're, they're more than comfortable. They know the coaches that are there. They know the, the head coach that's there. They're, they're more than happy to allow their, their highly prized assets to come in. And he's just 
yeah, he's just developing an environment that they can come in, improve really quickly and just play loads and loads of minutes and not look out of place. Like um, getting Gooey again, I know there was a, um, I think there was an option to renew the loan. So you obviously triggered that. So he's just, uh, he, he just looks at home at the top of the championship and you think it's Premier League next season. If that's not with you, then it's going to be with someone else, like a lower league Premier League team maybe. Um, yeah, it's it's just a really interesting project and um yeah there's a few facets to it and it's fast it is fascinating to watch and see where it see where it goes next and see whether it's good enough and good enough as a strategy to actually get you back into the premier league is the ultimate aim but if it's not and if it doesn't then then next year you go again and just uh and yeah just tweak a little bit more push a little bit harder and then see if you're ready for ready for promotion again but yeah good things i, I guess just quickly talking about morris and um yeah, I, I just have to say quickly that I've watched a little bit of him, and I think he's a big boy, isn't he? He looks, um, he looks like he's carrying a lot of muscle up top, and players don't, um, they don't, uh, they don't really stop him. <laughs> he's quite a, he's, he's quite a bulldozer in that sense. Yeah, definitely, and I think it's just lazy to say like he looks quick and strong, but he he is quick and strong, and uh, I think that it's going to suit your style. The, the recruitment guys have probably done it well again. If he's coming off the wing, if he's on, if he sort of isolates, or if he's the the last few man, if he's the last man, basically, there's, it's going to take a bit to catch him. And even if you do, um, it looks like he can hold off a challenge and still finish under pressure. So going to be fascinating but I, I guess this is a good time to talk about the recruitment guys and um andy scott the xb how are you feeling about him and he's been there a few years i know you had the market insight guys working for you a little bit as well um how are you feeling about it all and uh is it is it just are they just plucking out these loans or is there much more much more to it than that i think where possible there is much more to it than that obviously the budget restricts what we can achieve but a loan doesn't necessarily mean uh, Andy Scott's not having any impact. Like Morris, for example, that's absolutely an Andy Scott signing. There's no way that's um, Cooper, not in my eyes anyway. I mean, like I said, not every sign has been him, but you look at the track record, I think it was summer 2019, he's come in since then. Jamal Lowe, 800k. Obviously, Wigan, we're in a bad spot, but he's worth more than that. Ryan Manning, 250k, he's worth a few million at least. Ryan Bennett on a free, you know, pre- Premier League pedigree, Premier League experience, come up uh, champion as champion of the Championship of Worlds in a back free system. That was perfect on a free, even though he was under contract. Lat Bordier from uh, Man City, young centre-back, potentially sell him on uh, in the future on a free even though he's under contract Corey Smith on a free Hurahan loan Gibbs White loan Wilmot Sturridge Brewster Gallagher loan Ben Hamer I believe that was a free transfer with add-ons even though he was under contract so I think our yeah our style seems to be sign loan players and sign players for free even if they're not free agents um but <laughs> but but no you look at the signings he's, I've listed off there I've left off a few you know of uh maybe being recalled but it, most of them are resounding successes like mm. how so they've obviously worked coherently with um, Steve Cooper and the rest of the coaching staff. It, it, it has all fit together so well. Like you said, the marketing site uh, boys were there as well. And from, from what I can see, they did a good job. Like they, they, they helped in implementing a more modern day approach in the club because before before Andy Scott came in, it was basically just Hugh Jenkins. And I'm going to imagine it was just agents. Like Hugh Jenkins did a lot for the club, but towards the end, the transfer business, it was, it was, it was awful. It really was awful. I mean, you looked at uh, Premier League season where we sold Gilfy Sigurdsson for 45 million. We sold Fernando Llorente for 15 million or 12 million. Uh, and then the way we spent the money, I mean, we spent it on Sam Klukas, 16 and a half million pounds. And Paul Clement got caught in an interview two weeks later saying, we still got to find uh, the best position for him. It was like, he's our record signing, but we don't know what his best position is. It, you know, his mental. And then obviously, are you now? 
Andre Ayew now has worked out well, but we were spending 18 million on him. We gave him a uh, what was a three and a half year deal and on 80k a week wages, no relegation clause. Wilfred Boney sold the rent day for 12 million, bought Boney for 12 million on 100k, 120k a week, no relegation clause. You know, it was short sightedness. It almost we, we were lucky that we had the players to sell. Otherwise, it, the club was in a real you know real bit of trouble it could have been administration it was that bad so having this approach now where we buy low sell high bring in the loans you know we got op- we got an option to buy on Morris is planning ahead it's good and it builds our reputation obviously Cooper long term doesn't want to continue with the loan he says we need to sign players permanently which is right but selling Joe Road in the summer that's what allowed us to bring in these uh, Manning, Bennett, latter board, yeah, well, that's what's allowed us to bring in people on permanence, which has built the squad up, and that won't have as much of an impact on us in the summer now. So if we can keep doing that repeatedly, even if we don't get promoted this season, we should be okay. Yeah, I think the loans, it's, it's as, a, as a strategy, it's easy to dismiss it. And I think Brentford have probably been a bit, um, well, it's something we haven't pursued much, um, a couple more in the last, um, uh, it's something we got involved with a little bit more recently, but... I think it's easy to dismiss it because, uh, yeah, I think what the if I was coming into Swansea and looking at it, basically what you're doing is you're hemorrhaging money and money's going out and you need to build a team. What it, It's pretty simple, really. What's the best way to build a team and not commit too much more finances over a long period? It is really loans. It's like you're not you're not committing to these players long term. They are. There's a lot of guarantees already built in, especially with the talent of the the World Cup youngsters. We know how good they are, and also some of the others you brought in. So it, it's more finding a system that works for you. And I think once you get a system that works well for you, it doesn't matter what system it is. It's it's your system, and it's it's beneficial. So yeah, fascinating stuff going on. I, I think also let's let's move on to the January window, just because um, we're talking about sort of loans and coming and incomings. Um, Connor Hurahan's joined. Uh, we've spoken a little bit about Morris as well. Morris is actually a permanent signing, but Hurahan, I believe, he's a permanent signing. Hurahan is another loan coming in. Um, are you happy with the business that's gone on? Do you think there's going to be more or anything that's going to sort of impact the Brentford match? Or are we, do you think you're settled now and there's no real gaping holes that need plugging? Uh, there's the potential for more. I mean, Jordan Morris hopefully will end up being a permanent acquisition. It's a loan with an option to buy. That very much hinges mm, on uh, okay. promotion to the Premier League because you're probably looking at about the five to seven million pound mark and we're not hitting anywhere near that in the Championship. But obviously Premier League has very doable. Um, yeah, so it's Connor Hurahan, Jordan Morris, Ben Hamer. They're the three that have been brought in so far. I know we talked a lot about Hurahan already, but mm. the, the reason this will work so well in that three-five-two uh, system is because so far this season, ideally, Mac Grimes would have been at six. That's why he was best under Graham Potter. It helps us build from the back as his progressive passings were the best in the league. That's having that deeper role. That's what allows you to switch the play more effectively rather than being more advanced. But unfortunately, because he is our only left-footed centre-mid if you take away Ryan Manning, who hasn't actually played midfield once this season. He's been uh, at left-back and left-wing-back. Grimes is our only left-footed midfielder. That's meant he's actually been on the left-sided number eight role. And because he's been at that left-sided number eight role, we've had Fulton deeper in the number six role at times. But what this will do now, because Hurahan's also left-footed, you'd expect Hurahan to come in because he's more tack-minded and be that left-sided number eight. And that will actually bring the best out of Grimes. We haven't seen... Grimes hit the same levels that he did under Graham Potter. I think he could have easily followed him to Brighton. I'm not saying it, it almost happened, but capabilities-wise, he definitely could have made that move. It would have suited him. But since Cooper came in last season, uh, Grimes in the double pivot in the 4-2-3-1 didn't work at all. The 4-3-3, it didn't work at all. It's it's better now. It's better now in the 3-5-2. But I think it, it's so important for him that he gets at least the opportunity to show what he can do with that number six, because... 
he is such an impactful player for us there. Jordan Morris, um, it, it very much depends ha, ha, what Jordan Morris will get in. I mean, I don't think anyone who's locked into him is denying his ability, but the MLS season's been done for a little bit. Uh, I mean, it, it's a rigorous league like the championship, that part I'm not worried about, you know, all the travelling involved in, uh, I think it's 44 games in a relatively short period of time for a football season, as if you go into the off-season. Um it is about can he adapt to the system in time. I'm a, I'm a bit worried that by the time he does adapt, the loan will be over. That's the only damned side here for me. And then if we don't get promoted, then we've had him in the shop window and it's goodbye. Um, ben Hamer's just been brought in as backup. But one thing I will say about Ben Hamer is supposedly his uh, attitude is exemplary. And that goes again for Morris and Hurahan. And if you want to go back to what Cooper and Andy Scott are trying to do, that is a huge part, is an integral part of what uh, their transfer strategy strategy is because what they say is their character is uh, what has led to this unity in the squad. All the bad eggs, I, I won't go into specifically, but all the bad eggs have basically left this squad now. There's such a feel-good factor in that squad, in the fan base at the moment. All the fan base loves every single player. You can't point out a single player in that squad right now, which uh, the fans would view with a overall negative opinion. That's what's so brilliant about it right now. And the three players who have come in, that's only going to add to it. Um, talk about what we're maybe looking to do. Uh, you saw Gibbs White and Casey Palmer both got recalled. They were obviously both number 10s. Uh, so Yan Dan does are only number 10 left at the moment. Obviously, the saving grace is we don't actually play with a number 10 at the moment. We've adapted around it. But we could potentially do with more cover there. But the bigger thing is... Uh, we definitely need some cover at right wing back. Uh, Connor Roberts has played every single league game. Jordan Garrick, who's uh, adjusting to the role, he's always been a winger for us. He's uh, played there in cup games, so I'm not, I'm not sure how that would work out in the league. One potential solution to that is we'll be in linked with Paul Ariola from DC United, so another MLS player. Got, I think, 30-odd appearances for the USA men's national team. Um, he is versatile. He plays at number 10 and right wing, but he can play right wing back. So you kind of plug in two holes with one lone sign-in. I'm fairly sure we only have one lone spot left in the matchday squad now. So if that comes off, I'm not entirely sure what the state of that is at the moment, but it looks like that would be a decent sign-in. I'm going to move on to, um, yeah, just uh, just a bit of a, I guess, a bit more straight up question now. Like, So you're in a safe space. You um, you can completely answer this, honestly. But where, where do you truly place this Swansea team? So... Do you do you feel like you're a top two, top three team, or are you more like do you, do you feel like you're sort of a, a six to four team, like just outside the playoffs in the playoffs? Like where, where's your where's your feelings on this team? My opinion on this is changing every week. I feel like because it, it's so unbelievably tight. Apart from Norwich, who have got a bit of a gap, you know, between the rest of the top six, it's so tight. I mean, the other day, I, I think I. I did actually say Norwich, Bournemouth. Since then, Bournemouth have lost two. So, uh, and then all of a sudden, they're down to six. I mean, I didn't actually realise until recently how long Brentford's unbeaten run is. That's at, was it, 16? I mean, yeah, uh, 16 I, I, league games. Yeah, I didn't even realise that. I mean, Swansea have got a somewhat decent run themselves. N- nothing like that, but a decent run themselves. I mean, I think Brentford at the moment, I mean, it's changing all the time, but at the moment, they're probably deservingly edging it as um, second favourites behind Norwich. I think Norwich will go up. I think Norwich will go up as champions. I I feel like they've got that gap now. Like I can make comparisons to Swansea. Yeah, I see them as cohesive. I see them as a bit of a machine. They just keep winning. They don't look like they're going to stop winning. They're doing it comfortably. Is the thing that I'm being impressed by. They're not really getting out of second gear a lot of the time. If I was to say you were to be between, I'd probably say it will be between uh, Brentford and Swansea for second. I mean that, that 
that could change. I mean, Watford are high up there, but I'll be honest, I've watched Watford a few times. I have no idea how they're that high up there. I, I think they, they've... I mean, I hate using the word lucky in football because I feel like it's a bit of a basic word to use, but like their performances haven't uh, correlated to their results in my eyes. I, I think Reading were propelled by uh, the start they had seven wins and a draw in the first eight games, and I actually think they're playing better now than how they did in that first eight-game run. Um, but I'm not sure they'll end up in the tops. We were just watching them against Preston. I didn't think... I know it was just one game. I, di- I didn't think they... Uh, particularly played well i mean could have easily won i don't think they played brilliantly comparing them to swansea and Bournemouth, uh swansea and brentford though bournemouth are the ones i'd be more worried about other than reading or watford simply because i really don't think they've clicked yet i know watford haven't clicked yet but i can't see them i can't see that how it's all going to fit together bournemouth i think potentially could they create chances but they also leave themselves open i feel like if they can tighten up at the back ever so slightly maybe become a bit more professional in the way they manage games maybe not take so much risk uh, so many risks early on because they can get caught uh, they could potentially get into second but if, if you're going to say top three i'd probably say norwich and then brentford swansea maybe not in that order but i'd, I'd say that's the top three okay so let's delve a little bit deeper now so i guess i did i heard the word luck come into into your mentioning um your your descriptions there um i i think we've got to call it out with Swansea a little bit like you've conceded 13 goals um way outperforming expected goals against uh I think it's almost 10 goals uh how on earth are you doing this like at the back I think let's just quickly have a look at some numbers so just in comparisons of the team I think bees have conceded we're on about 200 shots you, you've conceded 250 around that um your goal against average percentage of shots on target is like five percent most other teams operate around 10 the quality of chances you concede are good. It's not like you're you're limiting you're limiting chances. What? How have you? How have you only conceded thirteen goals? And then is it bad finishing from the opposition? And is it just you game stating the way through this? Like, are you are you really timing your goals well? And then and then the system takes you through to another phase, and then you can find another goal because this two nil scoreline is just um, it's quite a reoccurrence. Like, what's going on at the back for Swansea? Because yeah, I didn't actually realise that we'd um, outperformed our XG conceded by this much until you pointed it out to me before. I mean, I've, goal scoring isn't the problem. We got 29 expected goals scored, 29 goals scored. That that That's completely where it should be. But then, according uh, to Info, goal 23.7 XG conceded and we're on 13 goals. I mean, like you said, that is a massive overperformance. I mean, I have a theory on it. Definitely not fact. I'm definitely not the best person to act, uh, speak about XG. But um, X, a lot of the XG models, as far as I know, they don't take into account the bodies in the way of the shot I mean a good example of that I think it was an early game in the season for Reading they may have had an open goal from about it was a few yards away because the keeper just messed up with a back pass from the defender or something and they only got given 0.2 xg or something like that and it was just a plain open goal before that got adjusted um so the way we defend when we take the lead and we have taken the lead in a lot of games this season we defend deep we um we we sit deep, we sit compact, we pack the box when uh, defending crossing situations. I feel like a lot of these shots, which usually would be in a usual game situation, say 0.4 xG, I, I'd have to lock it up to back it up. But we get so many blocks in in a game, like Ryan Bennett, especially, we, we block so many of the shots. So Woodman doesn't actually end up having to deal with a lot of them. Like, I'm not saying for a second that... 23.7 xg used to be 13 like we haven't been that good but i think the amount of um there probably does need to be an adjustment 
maybe someone a lot smarter than me could um could could do that adjustment to see where it maybe really should be in reality maybe xg against should be maybe more like i don't know 17 18 19 still an overperformance maybe we'll regress but maybe we won't i mean they say probability has no memory that that's um <laughs> that, that that that's uh the only downside for you know regression i guess but um no you're right i I'd be surprised. I mean, right now we're, we're 13 goals conceded after 24 games. We're on track to break the all-time record for the lowest amount of uh, goals conceded, which is mental. Like, it, as a Swansea fan, thinking back, some of the teams we've watched, as great as they've been, defensive solidity is absolutely not something you'd associate <laughs> with Swansea over the years. It, it would be the complete opposite. So to see what we've actually turned into, how our philosophy's evolved, because the philosophy's still there. It's just not there as consistently in games as um it maybe used to be but um I, I guess that's my theory i guess that's the potential answer as to why we're overperforming it so much i could be completely wrong and we could uh see that goals conceded number quickly catch up to where it should be if it does regress but um i'd, I'd be surprised if we suddenly start shipping goals because honestly just using the eye test we do not look like a team that's going to ship goals at all we really don't the way you defend and then the type of defenders you have and then how how comfortable sitting deep you are i i think i i guess going ahead and being ahead for long periods and then scoring these goals at really good times and then being able to absorb pressure and and take shots and and yeah teams just not getting the rubber green rubber of the green against you as well um there's probably just a whole mix of everything but there's definitely something in the shots against i think you you the five percent of quality of shots on target going in it doesn't seem like that's going to continue and that's probably where a little bit of my my concerns about low and um are you coming as well because i can see that defending is just you're you're an outlier in defending and is it is it that you have just got a bit lucky in these first phases and um and suddenly you do start seeing a couple of goals come in and then just on the wrong side of tight results because yeah it's it's just the way football is it tends to it has a weird way of leveling itself out in the end but yeah it's going to be interesting to watch like this race isn't uh this race isn't going to go smoothly. I think there's going to be some bumps in the road, and um, yeah, it's going to. Hopefully, we don't meet in the playoffs again. That's all I can say. Okay. Yeah. So I'll, let's I'll move... back you up on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on a little bit. So, so who do you think needs to perform well to make Swansea tick in this game? It's a tough one because I mean it when I say they have all been performing. Like I, I, I realize I'm probably coming across really biased over the last few questions now, but um. In recent games, every single obviously we are on a streak where we're performing well. Every player emerges with credit. There's nobody who say, "Oh, he could have done better. He made a mistake." The system is so coherent; they do work together so well that a lot of the time, if maybe there are one or two players who have a bad start of the game, they get dragged into it. I mean, Jamal Lowe seven and seven, as I've mentioned a few times, seven goals in seven games. So obviously, if um, if he doesn't show up, then maybe we lack our goal threat. But I think probably. The key to nullifying Swansea is pinning back the win- wing backs. I mean, any Derby fans watching, anyone who watched Derby's 2 0 win over Swansea about a month ago on Sky Sports, that's probably our only real bad performance of the season. I say bad performance, and that's, I feel like I'm discredited Derby and discredited Wayne Rooney's tactics in that game a bit because what they did really well in that game is they realised. The wing-backs for Swansea are absolutely essential to how we then transition and look to create going forward when we win back the ball. But it's because of the way they positioned their wingers. Like, they positioned them so high that the wing-backs were more like full-backs. They were so deep that it wasn't a back three, it was a back five. It wasn't a three-five-two, it was a five-three-two. And because we were so flat, Derby were just able to completely control possession in the game. I, I went into that Derby game thinking, right, you know, 
they they they're keeping clean sheets. They may sit back. They may look to counter us. Uh, we'll probably control possession, control the game is the complete opposite. They um they did control us completely. I'm I'm not sure if Brentford will approach it. Uh, what this game like what Derby did and do that to the same effect. I'm not sure if that's really Brentford style. Just you know pinning. It's not really something I noticed in uh, watching Brentford's games. But if that does happen, then that for me that. That that makes a major difference in uh, the opposition doing well in the game against Swansea. Um, the other ones, where I was in the number six position, it it really is interesting. Sometimes the number six is marked like man marked. Sometimes the number six is left free, and that really does decide wherever we look to play out or wherever we go to long. Like uh, go long. Anyone who's uh, watched the Barnsley games because we played we played Barnsley twice now, and that that two nil score line we beat them two nil twice. If you watch that, the, only those two games of Swansea this season, you would have absolutely no idea how we usually play football. It, like it was because both of those pitches uh, that we played on the Swansea one, especially at home before that got relayed, it, they were tragically bad. Like they they were they were not fit for um, purpose at all. It, it, it was just straight up long ball football. There wasn't there, there wasn't even an idea in place to try and play out into the midfield, connect midfield to attack. But the thing is, because we know Barnsley are really good as a high press side and we knew the pitches were bad. I, I was I was said earlier about how um, these players are matured a bit. They're more streetwise now. We can play long ball football. Isn't pretty. We all sit there thinking, what's this? But then we win, so we can't complain when it does happen. I don't, I, I'd be surprised if it happens against Brentford because we're at home. Pitch has been relayed a few weeks ago. It's looking really good now. But... um. It really does depend what version of Swansea Cooper decides to put out. There'll be the same personnel, but a completely different approach depending on who they're playing. What What do you think's impressed you so much this year about Swansea? Um, I mean, I, I think I'm just going to be repeating myself. It's it's, it's the togetherness. It's it's the clean sheets. Even though, as you pointed out, that that may not continue. It really is the unity, I believe, because. I th- I feel like there's only so far quality you can get. You there is quality in the squad, but if you want to make direct comparisons to some of the other squads in the league who also have a similar level of quality. It is the togetherness in the Swansea squad, which is how we're getting that inch further, how we're running that extra yards, how we're seeing out games like we are. It, it, it's the ability to continue going to the final whistle, even though a lot of the time we are in control of games and we don't need to push. Um, push is hard. I mean, yeah, I do feel like I'm repeating myself there, but but it is the key word you need to do. Yeah, great. No, no, completely understandable. I think um, sometimes the intangibles are, are like some of the most important. Um, okay, so I think we won't go weaknesses because I think you pretty much highlighted it. I think the three-five-two. I think those wing backs are so important going forwards, but defensively they can be your biggest weakness as well. It's just such a hard role to play to get your positioning right and then, um, as you're saying, like pinning them back and just making them out like a back five. Um, you can you can be quite stretched as a team, especially have roaming forwards like Low and uh, Low and Ayu. They can get really detached, but at the same time, you get those wing backs right, and you play a team that aren't ready for it. Um, it's a great base to build from, and you can sort of move down the wings and you you overload those those wings. You you can be a dangerous team, but yeah, I think weaknesses are probably out wide. We've probably covered that. Um, who are you most fearful of at Brentford? Um, I'd probably say two. There's going to be two players that uh, are going to be fresh coming into the game. First one being First one being Ivan Tomney. Um, he is like a ghost in the box. The, the, his ability find space, like consistently find space where you wouldn't really think there is space to find. It, it is something which I do think is a Premier League 
level quality that he has is not really something you see in this division much. Recently, we've seen him drop deep more and more, and it's not something we really, I didn't see much of it at Peterborough, but we are seeing him drop deep more uh, now to create an overload in midfield. I, I did mention this earlier, he is dragging, trying to drag the centre-back off the back line, trying to separate the back four, cause a bit of confusion for the opposition, and it does create the space for people like Gordos, people like Abuemo to get in behind, and the thing is, you do have the pace to hurt teams, so if they do give you that space and you capitalise it on it at the right second, it is a really sure fire way of uh, creating chances the other one mean and this one i'd probably say i'm more concerned about being joshua silver he is one of my favorite players in the league to watch i mean literally every time i've watched this guy play he just absolutely runs the show just constant man the match performances is um it's progression in the game and i I don't just mean pass i mean progressive carries progressive passes as well it's press resistance on the ball so hard to get the ball off of intricacy on the ball in tight spaces he, like he does offer nearly everything that you could really want from a centre mid and I, I know your finances are good but if Brentford don't go up this season I think they will one way or another I think they will but if they don't he's, he's on his way to the Premier League and he's probably going to be uh, courted by some big bigger sides in the Premier League as well because he is such a good player just I think you've called it bang on there he's Josh De Silva has everything um, there's not really a weakness to his game I don't think I, I think it would have been probably without the ball previously but he's he's all he's just turned into a monster now at that side of the game um yeah he, he's pretty much got everything and yeah if he plays well we tend to we tend to play well as well and um yeah we're looking forward to having him back um, we missed him against Luton I think that second half without the silver and just doing some of the things you said like driving with the ball from deep I think just disrupting any team it doesn't matter what sort of block you've got if you've got if you've got De Silva there they can just take on players um, it takes a lot of pressure off and the, t- the time ticks down and before you know it you're on the edge of the box so we- we've missed him and um, it'll be good to bring him back I think we're going to need him um, okay so just finishing up then uh, finally I reckon it's not really great asking for a score prediction I think it's a bit lame um, but how do you reckon the game will go? Like, do you think it will be a tight game? The last one was obviously one 0 and it was tight. Um, do you think it's going to be a similar game to that? Yeah, it, it is going to be an incredibly tight affair. I mean, I do think it could be a one goal contest. Like, it, it's odd this game. It's odd trying to predict how Brentford and Swansea, a Brentford and Swansea game is going to go because they are two teams who, while they're both comfortable on the ball. I feel like Brentford's best chance of uh, scoring will probably be a quick transition, possibly through the midfield. I mean. It, it's not a weakness as such that it used to be for us now. Before, you saw in the reverse fixture how easy it was just to breeze through the midfield, drive through the midfield and uh, get the cut back for Tony. I mean, I think Swansea's best chance probably, and I, I don't know if I'm getting this wrong, maybe you can correct me, but when I've been watching Brentford play, they obviously they, everyone knows they play out a lot, and it's not necessarily Brentford being bad at playing out, but when you play that style of play, there is a possible tendency to maybe have a lapse of just, uh, judgment on the ball, take a loose touch. I saw it three or four times against Luton, I'm not sure. You did mention the second half, uh, the intensity dropped a bit, maybe players weren't mentally in the game and th- th- that isn't a common thing to see. But you look at Jamal Lowe, I do truly believe he is one of the best pl- uh, forward players off the ball in the championship. Um, he's very good at getting on the blind side of a man in possession and nipping in and stealing the ball. And that is partly due but, uh due to the fact he is very quick across the ground, but, you know, very good acceleration on him. And he is improving what happens after that. Like, his finishing is obviously what improved from the first half to the second half, uh, not second half, first half to the last few weeks of the season. But um, 
his ability to nip in and retrieve the ball then, and, you know, good counter-press in situations. He, he'd been doing that the entire time. Then it's what he was doing after. He wasn't passing at the right time. He was holding on to it and shooting late where he, he should have uh, released the ball earlier. And he is doing that now. And you feel every time we pick the ball up in those advanced situations, that it can lead to a chance at goal. Um, so obviously that could mean Brentford want to set press and traps in the midfield to pick up the ball deep in transition. Swansea may want to pick up the ball in an advanced area, possibly just inside Brentford's half in the final third. So even though both teams are comfortable on the ball, there could be phases of the game where both teams perhaps are happy for maybe a 10, 15, 20 minute period not to have as much of the ball because part of the game plan to score is to let the opposition have the ball and let them make the mistake. Um, and again, just referring back to what I said earlier, sometimes Swansea will come out, they'll be, you know, They'll be expansive, they have the wing-backs proper high and wide. You'll have Logan in behind, Are you dropping deep, will be playing through uh, the thirds, and they'll look really good. And then sometimes you'll have the, uh, a Barnsley game where we have about 40-50% pass accuracy and we're just playing long ball the whole time. And you wouldn't think that we're set up to play long ball. I mean, Andre Ayew's got a hell of a leap on him, but he's uh, he isn't the tallest, Low isn't the tallest. They're not weak by any means, but centre-backs have the advantage and aerial duels as it is. And these aren't target men. They, they really aren't target men. So I'd be shocked if we play that style of football because Brentford will then just hold the ball and dominate, you'd imagine. But if Brentford, if Brentford press high, maybe we'll be forced into that. Maybe it'll be a bit rigorous for us as the 90 minutes goes on. I, I really do see it being nil-nil, one-nil either way. I, I do think both teams are going to be so conservative in how they set up defensively because they don't want to go behind, I think. The reason I say that is Brentford's. They know Swansea go ahead. They they've won twelve, drawn one. Swansea from their eight games, they've gone behind. They've won one, drawn three, lost four. And I think a lot of uh, those draws are mainly because of Andre Ayew. I think he's had two individual efforts against Wednesday and Coventry. You know that's just that that wasn't anything to do with the team or the tactics. That was just passable to Ayew. Hope he does something, and he did in those situations. So um, yeah, tight game, six pointer. I think whoever wins the game that they're going to have such a sense of belief that they could get automatically promoted whether whether they will say it publicly or not it, it really will spur them on drive them on i i think it'll be close but it'll be a good game it'll be a good one to watch yeah these second games are fascinating you've got you've got the evidence of the last match you've got what you did wrong you've got you've got improvements and you've grown throughout a season as well and you know you know how to you, you know how to win you've won games and you um yeah you know how to deliver um but yeah, that's been awesome, um, Ben. I've really enjoyed that. Thanks so much. I feel like I know so much about Swansea now, um, <laughs> more than I, more than I did before, for sure. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, whereabouts can people find you? Where? What's your What's your online um, uh, online details? Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it, yeah, uh, the Twitter handle is JackArmy underscore. Um, I've also just coincidentally done a tactical analysis video analysis on that Brentford Luton game so if you uh, want to go to the Twitter and see that that'll be great yeah absolutely that sounds awesome I'm going to check that out as soon as, as soon as I possibly can um but yeah just um just to say thanks again for Ben thank you for joining us it's been um really awesome oh thank you mate, very much for having me I really enjoyed okay so yeah just a bit of housekeeping to finish up um uh, follow Bees Tactical wherever you search for stuff. So on Twitter, uh, you can search the blog on Substack. Um, yeah, just Bees Tactical is the watchword. Uh, the Patreon as well. Um, so support Bees Tactical on the Patreon. It keeps things like this happening. Um, and hopefully there's more of them if there's um, good support there. 
review the podcast as well let us know how much you're enjoying it or disliking it or what you'd what you'd like to see us chat about um the formats or anything like that um just uh, yeah let us know how things are going and uh that leaves me with saying thank you very much to ben and yeah we'll catch you next time was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 